0: Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Kelsey Newsom. I work as a macro social worker in West Michigan.
1: And I'm Bruce Vendrager. I work as executive director of pastoral services for an organization in West Michigan called Hope Network. Together, we are the hosts of the Faith and Mental Health Podcast.
0: This podcast is hosted by Bearing Hope, a collaborative group made up of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, the Reformed Church in America, Hope Network, Pine Rest Christian Mental Health Services, and the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan, Be Nice. We believe, particularly now, it is vital to begin conversations about mental health and faith. Together, we will explore questions and topics about leadership while also maintaining mental health, leading others who are new to understanding mental health, parenting through mental health, and so much more. We are concerned about thoughtfulness around mental health as it relates to all aspects of life and faith.
1: Welcome to the Faith and Mental Health Podcast.
0: Welcome. We're glad to have you here with us today. Um, Shanna, would you be willing to
2: introduce yourself first? Absolutely. Um, my name is Shanna Hausman, and I am a limited licensed professional counselor. And um, I also serve as a commissioned pastor, um, pastoral care pastor. For Harbor Churches here in West Michigan,
3: I'm Jermaine Alberty, the executive director of Pathways to Promise, and um, glad to be here with you.
0: In this episode, we really want to focus in on caring for the congregation. So, um, we're using the term congregation, but really, uh, we're speaking to faith leaders of any form, whether they're employed um, formally or not. So. You know that pouring out, so caring for others. Um, would you be able to give us kind of a big picture overview of what that looks like for you in your context? What, how do you care for others and their mental health?
2: I think that um, one of the one of the really important things that Harbor Churches has done, Harbor Churches um, represents five campuses, and um, not every campus has a full-time um, pastoral counselor, who's also a licensed therapist, but that um, that hire, the, the church hiring me, this, our organization to hire me and to place value on that has spoken um, pretty loudly, I think, organizationally. And so it's been really a privilege to serve in that capacity and to explain to people that um, I'm accessible to them as their pastor but also a pastor with clinical training and um, it has made counseling accessible to people who are more reluctant to, to pursue counseling or scared or um, uninformed about how to go about it. Um, so that's one of the things that I think has been really is just really Important is just saying this. We value mental health, and we are going to actually hire somebody because pastors have um, so much on their plate, and all of us are gifted differently. And um, some of the needs that our that our people have are really significant, and um, and not all of us are equipped to to meet them in in those spaces. And so that has been one thing. The other thing that we've done is really tried to work with our pastors to normalize the idea of mental health. And so from their platform, when they're preaching, um, to talk about depression and anxiety and mental illness and, um, mental wellness, (laughs) um, to have a language around mental health and vocabulary around that. We are also not, it's not just about our spiritual selves, but our emotional lives and our, our mental lives. And, um, are very important and we're in a very interconnected and we are only as healthy as the healthiest <laughs> parts of us. Um, and so we have really tried to speak more, even in our staff, um, around mental, mental wellness and, um, encouraging pastors to take care of themselves and that if they're going to speak to people about, what it means to be in counseling or to need counseling, that they could also probably really benefit from taking some personal inventory and taking some steps to do some personal reflection. Pastors are notoriously terrible mm-hmm. taking care of themselves um, because we are so, we're so focused on other people. And, um, but there's a way we speak about our own journey with more authenticity that invites people in. People know that, we're doing our work and we're taking care of ourselves or exploring different um, areas of struggle in our lives, then they're going to, it just increases the way that they can relate to us as people, not only as their pastors and, um, and also say, well, wow, if they don't really have it figured out, maybe I don't have to have it figured out also. So language and normalizing just the, um, the reality of mental wellness and mental illness is is something that we're trying to create more co- a culture of ho- hospitality in that way.
3: I tell you, you took every word almost out of my mouth, but I think I have a few more to add just a little bit. And um, as I announced myself earlier, I'm Jermaine Albany, the director of Pathways of Promise. We've been around for over 30 years, and we were formed by about 14 Christian denominations. Um, as well as a few other Jewish congregations and other entities to help congregations create mental health ministries. And so Mm -hmm. we actually equip uh, ministries through education. So increasing awareness. uh, And by increasing awareness, we decrease stigma. So the more you know about a thing, then hopefully, then the less likely you will be to put those myths out there uh, in regards to mental illness and addictions. And so uh, as we know, pastors, uh, faith leaders are some of the first persons turned to, to when they're in distress. They go to their church to get help. And so if the pastor is not equipped to be able to help that person uh, and be able to say, you know, what you're experiencing, yes, praying about it is great, uh, reading your Bible is great, but have you thought, thought about talking to a counselor about that? Um, that right there could be the first step in reducing stigma. I've um, talked to your doctor about those emotions that you're feeling. So, um, you know, I've created some different learning devices in order to help individuals. And one of those devices is that I've created is five steps to help yourself that I think pastors can use. And the first one is to share what you are experiencing with someone who cares. That's the hardest thing for many pastors. And as a former senior pastor, believe me, I know, That most of the times we don't want to talk to other pastors for fear of being seen as is not having it all together or not being as spiritual or not being that solid foundation. But the first step is to share what you are experiencing with someone who care. And the other step, this is like steps, S-T-E-P-S, is tell the truth. That's the hardest part, right? And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We thought you know that's the gospel right but no telling your truth can set you free uh and then have you ever noticed like when you empty like when you delete something on a computer and it goes in a trash bin it's still sitting there till you empty it that's what happens many times with us like we talk about stuff but we don't really get rid of it so like, we want to empty the trash bin and then the p in this mnemonic stands for pause for self-care which i heard shana talk about that self care. It's so important. And I try to tell pastors that self care is an act of self love. And once again, bring the scripture in love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, self care is an act of self love. And then the last piece here is what that ask to be seek assistance. So, if you took it, you would share, you would tell the truth, you would empty your trash bin, you would pause for self care, and you would seek assistance. And those are five steps that a person can do in ministry to help themselves. Uh, And so through programs that we offer through Pathways to Promise, like companionship and other mental health one-on-one, other trainings, pastors get those skills to do just that.
0: Can you give us kind of the the quick synopsis of the companionship program and what that is?
3: Absolutely. So the companionship program is built around five practices. Um, And those five practices are hospitality, so creating that safe space for persons. We talk about the ideal of the importance of neighboring and neighboring is seeing each other as equal, seeing that mutuality that exists amongst one another. Uh, another practice of hospitality is listening for the soul story, so that deep story that moves and calls us to act and be. Uh, and then uh, another practice is coming side by side. And side by side is seeing the world together. So we, we set aside our own privilege, we set aside all those things, and we stand side by side with one another. The last part is accompaniment. You know, how do we connect folks to resources and services in a circle of care? This may sound familiar in the Samaritan story because the Samaritan offered hospitality. The Samaritan was a neighbor. The Samaritan had to listen to the person who they encountered. The Samaritan came side by side, putting aside who they were, and then they accompanied that person to get help. So the Samaritan story is that a model this was built upon of how we offer help to our neighbor. So that's a brief synopsis of uh, companionship. And folks can learn more about companionship at the companionship movement.org.
1: Well, Jermaine, it seems like you like things in five. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> the number of
1: breaks. Right. Of...
3: <laughs> we need to <that> go first. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, so in light of um, 2020 and what it's done to a lot of faith communities, um, here in Michigan, we've been quite restricted from meeting in person. Um I don't know where where you're located, um, but uh, what have you seen then the an increase? In uh, Shanna, you as well, uh, just an increase in terms of you were talking about how pastors need to take care of themselves, right? And and how they're often reluctant to do that or they resist doing that. But have you within your um, within your organization seen an increase in terms of? those requests or, or that the need, or, you know, some of the changes that, that especially pastors, senior pastors, um, or just anybody in the, in the sort of the church setting, um, has experienced change in the past year.
2: Absolutely. Um, pastorally, I think I've observed a lot of what you know, I'm, you've probably all even heard the dis- decision fatigue and just. um, trying to decide what's best for their people and best for ministry. And there's no right answer. I mean, but a lot of people think that there's a right answer. And so no matter what pastors are put in positions of disappointing some people and making other people really angry and, and that just increased their stress um, to kind of off the charts. Um, And, in our congregations, and I think generally as people, we're really grieving and grief is something that we don't necessarily, um, I think, one, understand very well and two, give a lot of permission um, <laughs> to to process. or And it's painful and we have a lot of strategies to prevent ourselves from feeling things that hurt, um, but that collective grief I, has really affected people. change is loss and loss instills this need for grief to be processed. And, um, and so then I have seen people who are already living with maybe depression or anxiety and kind of had it figured out just because in their normal lives and rhythms um, it became a lot more unsustainable when the rhythms of life changed so dramatically for a lot of us, or even just a little bit. So those of us who could kind of manage it, became less and less able to manage in the shifting sands of what 2020 and 2021 have been, especially in light of not knowing when it was going to end. And that is another piece that I've seen that's just been so difficult. You can kind of hang on if you know, I can just do it for another week, or I can do it for four more weeks, or I can, but there's a lot of like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I, how, how long do I have to do it? And then with winter, and the gray skies, and you know, our environment has also really added to people's spirit. The seasonal effect, disorder, and it's just real. It's just really, it's really real. The struggle is pretty, pretty substantial. I would say for a lot of us.
3: Yeah, you know, one of the. Things that was startling to me was a study that said that loneliness was more dangerous than obesity, and was as dangerous uh, or damaging to one's health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm. And so, loneliness as an epidemic uh, was something, and it's not only loneliness but social isolation. And so, we've been asked to do just that—to isolate ourselves yeah. and when you think about what that isolation uh, can cause to seniors, to not only seniors, but then families and children and so forth, um, it's difficult from that pastoral view to kind of have that personal touch that we are often known for, the land of hands, the prayer, those kind of things that showed connection and community. And so um, I would say, not only is this epidemic impacting um, those persons that we serve, but also us, because I don't know about uh, other pastors, but I drew strength from my congregation. Mm-hmm. Those hugs that you would get, you know, nothing like a good hug from one of the members and so forth. And and not having that most definitely I believe uh, has increased as Shannon said, that depression, that anxiety uh, and those things there. So I've been encouraging folks to stay in touch. You know, pull out that old phone tree, make some phone calls. You know, to you know try to use social media as a way to stay connected or zooming or whatever it may be, but to try to maintain that connection in some kind of way. Uh, but most definitely, the pandemic has had a major impact of how we do ministry, and some folks are gathering together now with you know the different mitigation in place. But uh, I think we've lost a lot and we ought to acknowledge that. We ought to grieve that, acknowledge that, accept that, and then not try to return to a new normal, but to live in our current now.
1: Yeah, I, I've spoken to to my pastor a few times and I know that, you know, we can fill our heads with lots of worries and um, anxieties too. And I, I think I remember months ago him saying to me that, um, the flip side of it was that his concern was that people are getting so used to not going to church on Sunday that when we do reopen, he's, he's not so sure that they're gonna come back. They're like, oh, you know what? This has gotten really convenient and easy for us to just uh, you know, stay in our sweats and watch TV or watch uh, the service on the couch.
3: Yeah, I, I think that um, it's a real concern. It's a real concern, but I think there are people who still want that human interaction who still want to come together and have that. And I think if we could look at this as an opportunity to be able to truly meet those who are sick and shut in. And so we've built infrastructure now that can meet that need for those who can't come out because their immune system is compromised, so forth, or whatever it may be. So I think if we can look at this from a positive say, you know, we've actually built a strong outreach uh, effort here. Let's maintain that for those who may not be able to come worship for whatever reason and then you know let's reinforce why it's so important to just gather and, and be in community and I think that's the body of Christ I think you know mentioned you know like listen a body needs to be united needs to be together like the head can't say to the foot I don't need you we need to be together so I think that it is a genuine fear and concern um uh, One of the things I've been sharing with folks is that worry often is rooted in uncertain and concern is often rooted in facts. And the facts are we should be concerned about (laughs) gathering back together, but the worry is left to God because the worry is the thing that we can't control anyhow, right? That uncertain thing that we don't know about, that's why I think that the scripture doesn't tell us not to be concerned, but not to worry. I think worrying is saying, listen, you can't fix it anyhow. So leave it to God. But what you can fix, you should fix, and so I think that's kind of where I've been saying to pastors: Listen, what you can fix, go for it, work on it. But if you can't fix it, don't worry about it.
2: Yeah, we've worked really hard to kind of expand our definition of meeting together mm-hmm. and what it means to I mean to be connected, and um, we didn't stop meeting. And we weren't together in a building, but we have, church has happened every Sunday since last mm-hmm. March, and it has looked different. Um, it has challenged our understanding of what um, Sunday mornings and attendance means, and and some of those things have been really good challenges for us as a pastoral and, and teams and organizations to really push through some of our comfort zones and And what are we calling people to, and how are we the church, and how can we care for each other um, if we aren't together on Sunday mornings? Because it is more than just that, and we have realized some of um, how our practices really supported a Sunday morning um, mentality that has limited us in some ways, and definitely challenged some of our ideas of what's comfortable and what's not comfortable, so it, it, it is super hard to not see people, and I'm not undermining, you know, understating that. And we have realized we have some learning to do still and some different ways of thinking about discipleship and what it means to proclaim the gospel and serve each other and reach outside of our Sunday morning gatherings.
0: This makes me think about my, my own experience um, with the church over the past year, and it this will make many pastors cringe, but I have felt really indifferent about Sundays. Like I, many Sundays don't check into anything, but my mm-hmm. Monday night women's Bible study has gotten me through. And mm-hmm. so that's been my main source of community. Sometimes yeah. it's in person, sometimes it's virtual. Sometimes it's, we're just catching up because we can't even open our Bibles. And sometimes all we do is read, reading through Proverbs right now and it's mm. been so good, but I- I do think that there has been more of a push lately to move away from sermons or only sermons and Mm -hmm. move into like, what does it look like to operationalize what we mean when we say be the hands and feet of Jesus?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, that redefining what gathering means, you know, and, and I think it really speaks to uh, we should out to the congregation saying, how can we serve you? What what can we do to support you during this time? What works best for you? And and learning from the congregation what that is will help us reshape and do ministry in a way that is actually meeting the need of those that we are are trying to serve. And so if a women's Bible study is what gets you through, then we're gonna say, woohoo, yeah you know, go for that, you know, or whatever that need may be. Um, and, and then hopefully um, we've created a ministry that is able to be holistic in this approach of meeting that need that each person has there. But don't get me wrong, it's not like a good Sunday morning when you come together and you you have that fellowship. Uh, and I think people are longing for that too. But But once again, I think it is, this pandemic has pushed us to say, is it really just about Sunday morning or is it really Monday through Saturday that we need to reach out to see if we are connected? So I welcome the challenge to be able to try to support uh, persons who are saying, where is God in the midst of all mm-hmm. of that?
2: I think the, another thing that is maybe hopeful is that the the pandemic really has kind of leveled the playing field. All of us to some degree are, probably have experienced some Mild depression or some increased anxiety, and um, and and it has definitely spotlighted like mental health. And organizations all across the board have really produced some really great resources. And there is more language; we are talking more. Even this, um, even the opportunity for this podcast shows like people have been so incredibly creative and um, honest and brave in telling their stories, and so. I'm hopeful that moving forward that it isn't back to normal, but there is, because that's gone. <laughs> and I don't, we need to be imagining again how we can get people connected to, to each other. I mean, the reality about mental health and mental wellness is that the more connected we are, like you said, Jermaine, is is the better off we all are. I mean, the connection is, as humans, what we need to be, to thrive and to be to be healthy so someone that can hold your story is is so powerful and that if you know if we I've heard that if people had a good friend a really good friend they wouldn't need to go to therapy typically I mean less you know I mean there's a obviously a spectrum but it's mostly about that loneliness and disconnection and just having a place for someone who can look you in the eyes and say I hear you I see you your feelings are valid what what so the next right step that we can take.
3: Yeah, and this may not be um, the appropriate song for a conversation talking to the church. However, I'm gonna throw it out there anyhow. Um, some of you all remember the uh, series Chairs. You might remember the mm-hmm. series Chairs and the song is Sometimes You Wanna Go mm-hmm. where everybody yeah. knows your name and yeah. they're always glad you came. And I think that right there's what church is for many of us. Mm-hmm. where we go and people know our name and people are glad we came. And, you know, um, I think that we can do that though in in ways beyond that physical gathering where people still are glad you showed up online or showed up on a conference call or so forth. And, and we show hospitality to one another. So glad to see you. So glad to hear your voice. You know, uh, that social connection is so important. And, um, you know, we use the terminology in a program that I'm a natural trainer of called Mental Health First Aid, mental health challenges. A mental health challenge is when a person could experience symptoms, but those symptoms are not severe enough to warrant a diagnosis. We all have had our mental health challenge, which Amen. I think has <laughs> a level to the landfill, as you've said, you know, because we've been challenged in that way. So it may not merit a diagnosis, but we've been challenged. And so hopefully the empathy, that has now come as a result of what we've all experienced, this collective trauma. Mm -hmm. This has been a collective trauma that we've experienced as a community, um, that we can now be there for one another and go, you know what, I didn't know what that felt like before this, but we've had this trauma here, and how do we work through this to find healing and find recovery and, Mm -hmm. and support for one another? But I think one of the most important words is hope, and how can we hold hope for one another? Because some folks just need a little hope right now.
0: I think many times this conversation feels big and daunting and like we don't really know where to start or where to go next with it. I'm wondering if either of you have any quick success stories you could share with us about like a person or an event or something that happened that you've seen faith and mental health interact together in a really positive way.
3: Just this podcast here is a way of showing how we have said we must address mental health. We must address well-being and we must give a platform for this. This is a success. The fact that we are not talking about, you know, that we've given space for this subject matter, but I've, I've seen pastors now uh, trying to figure out how do we address the whole well-being of our congregation, not just spiritual well-being, but the whole well-being. And I think that is successful because now people are saying, let's talk about this. There's some that are not still ready to talk about it, but the fact that there's been a shift and a shift is happening, I think that's successful.
2: We did a a training just with our staff that wasn't mandatory, but people could sign up for it with um, a couple other therapists in the area and me and we did uh, like just kind of mental health first aid over kind of overarching um and truthfully i thought to myself i don't i i am so in awe of the people that i work with they're just amazing bright creative passionate people and they're really br- they're just smart and i just felt like they know all this stuff <laughs> that we're going to tell them um but the truth was they didn't, and they really appreciated kind of the um, an overarching. we did it for four weeks. The other thing that I think came out of that, one of the questions that I feel like could be pertinent to this conversation is just f- to remind pastors that there are mental health professionals <laughs> in the community. And you don't do not have to be the expert. You need to just you need to be familiar and validate the reality. but then you refer your people to a trusted professional and if you need resources then we should be able to provide you with some of those but the best thing i think that you can do is is know that you can refer you don't have to have the answers and find a find some um professionals some you might even have in your congregation that um that you trust an agency that you trust a practice that you trust private practitioners um so that you can say to your people here this is a this is a trusted person and you can get your help, and I can be your pastor alongside you as, you as you pursue your mental health journey. As pastors, you just do not have to have all the answers and be all things to all people. There are professionals who can do it, and you can walk alongside your people while they get the help that they need.
3: Yeah, I think one, real quickly, you know, if your car breaks down the road because you're running of gas, people who respond often bring you a gallon of gas to get you to the station, they don't fill the whole tank up. They just give you a gallon to get to the station. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> and I just think as pastors, let's just give a gallon of hope, you know, a gallon of, you know, just give a gallon of hope so they can get to the help they need to then get filled. And I think that, you know, we we do want to offer those referrals to those people who can provide the help they need to find that recovery and that wholeness and so forth. So, yeah, just, just a gallon. If you, if you don't have a gallon, a pint, a quart, something, you know, some folks just need you to hold a little hope for them and, and pour a little bit in their tank. Cause I don't know about you, but I experience compassion fatigue also known as burnout. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't have another ounce of compassion to give. And then I talk to an, another person in the ministry and they fill me up and I'm like, thank you. I needed that. So just really filling up each other to help each other. Uh, Cause some days you may have a full tank. And I may have a <laughs> empty tank. So.
1: Well, Jermaine, I thought maybe with your affinity for fives, you would offer five gallons of gas, but uh, <laughs>
2: that's
1: that is a great metaphor. Uh, I think that you know we've talked about this in some of our other episodes. Is in Shanna, you hit on that too. Is just the importance for for pastors to have knowledge of resources available at all times to keep an updated resource guide, you know, in your desk um, handy wherever on your phone, uh, so that you can give somebody um, that gallon uh, of hope, but then send them to the right station from there, so to speak. Um, and that's such an important thing, is just to, just to know where you can direct them, um, to recognize your limitations, um, if you're not clinically trained, um, and um, time-wise and all of those things, but to, uh, to, to be able to give them somewhere to go is, is critical. Well, we thank you, both of you, for being our guests.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.